All right. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Hector Chapa, and I'm here with... Howdy. That's Rob Carpenter. Because we're trying to prepare everyone for residency. And in this session, we're doing something super important. Absolutely. Because I didn't train with this, but boy, do I know it now. Dr. Carpenter, what are we talking about? We're going to be talking about team-based care. And that's, I tell you, something that's going to be incredibly important throughout your career. Man, team-based care, because you're not the sole driver of the ship. Not at all. You may be the captain, but you're not the one that's rowing and or raising the sails. That's good. That's good. So let's go ahead and get into team-based care now. In November of 2019, the National Board of Medical Examiners, you all know what that is. That's our shelf test. There you go. They actually released a bulletin describing an update to USMLE Step 1 and Step 2. Now, the USMLEs would have an expanded question base, here it is, guys, covering best practice for communication, professionalism, team-based care. Ding, ding, ding. There you go. There it is. And, of course, medical ethics. So, in short, aspects of team steps that we all did. You all trained with that in, in during your first year. Why? Because that really is about patient safety. So, this is set to begin in 2020, and of course, we're now in 2021, so it's in effect now. Absolutely. You know, medicine and healthcare can no longer be practiced or performed in silos the mm-hmm. way it was when we trained, yeah. when we went through medical school. Uh, breakdowns in team communication and team dynamics mm-hmm. is a known root cause for patient safety issues and negative outcomes. Therefore, all current and future healthcare providers should understand and even more importantly appreciate the importance of team-based interprofessional healthcare. Mm-hmm. Which brings the question, Dr. Chapa, why this attention to teams? Boy, man, it is a team sport. Public reaction, guys, to problems associated with patient safety reached a critical mass with the 1999 publication. Y'all are going to know this because we, it, was, it was mandatory reading for us as interns <laughs> right. called To Air is Human. Ooh, we don't like that as professionals, as perfectionists, but To Air is Human. And that concluded that medical errors cause up to, listen to this, Dr. Carpenter, 98,000 deaths annually not morbidity but mortality and that was in 1999 oh here we go now since the release of that iom report that's the institute of medicine the agency for healthcare research and quality and guys this is even a military thing the department of defense both had leaders into this space to say we've got to do more for patient safety and that was a major patient safety movement issue A major focus on these agencies was supporting research and developing activities that were centered on improving team performance and the delivery of care. Now, many organizations like the Joint Commission, that's big for hospital accreditation, and the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, and the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. Guys, that's you. That's part of GME, which you're responsible to uh, for residency. All of these stated that this issue of teamwork is a major patient safety issue. So out from this awareness came Team Steps. That's why we put you all through Team Steps. Team Steps stands for Team Strategies and Tools to Enhance Performance and patient safety. There's going to be quiz at the end of what that Absolutely. <laughs> Look, I know what Team Steps is. I forget what the acronym stands for, but there it is. And that was initiated in January of 2003 when those professional societies convened a national panel of experts on human factors, human error, and medical team training. Beginning with public release of Team Steps resources in 2006, the AHRQ began its efforts to disseminate Team Steps nationwide. And I remember that very 
very distinctly. It was halfway through my residency mm-hmm. training. And it is also adopted into medical school curricula for training of medical students as well as residents. The same holds true for nursing schools, allied health professional settings, and also individuals who, get this, are in leadership positions outside of direct care. Team Steps is a course, as of course, the background for interprofessional education, which prepares for real world interprofessional practice. Mm. So training you to actually do what you're going to need to do out in the real world. So in this session, we will review key aspects of Team Steps model to remind us of the value of interprofessional education and interprofessional practice for improved patient safety. Team-based healthcare has been linked to improved patient outcomes and may also be a means of improving, get this, provider team well-being. Hold on, say that again. Absolutely. It's not just about clinician or physician well-being. It's about the interrelated aspects of these teams and how they are reliant upon one another. If one aspect of your body is not doing well, your entire body isn't going to do that. That's the basis of pathophysiology. Here, we're going to show you that reliance upon all aspects of the team and their well-being is key. There's also evidence that multidisciplinary team-based care is associated with better performance on traditional measures of healthcare quality, such as emergency department utilization or hospital readmissions. In addition, several studies have concluded that optimizing team-based care and team-based wellness is a cost-effective intervention. My goodness. Listen, guys, I know that people think, oh, well, you know, burnout, that's for physicians or those in practice. Dr. Carpenter, you know this. That starts right now where you guys are. This is a medical student issue. Shoot, some of that begins in undergrad. Absolutely. We can take some individuals, in fact, a large percent of individuals who come into medical school with no indications whatsoever of depression, anxiety, or any other mental health aspect associated with burnout. And within six months, these are studied data. Within six months, we actually have a higher than average rate of those particular problems. So guys, here it is. Remember, we're talking about team-based care, not just for better patient outcomes, which is super important. Absolutely. But better outcomes for ourselves. Listen, when we can tell our nurse, our nurse practitioner, our PA, whatever the initials Mm -hmm. go down the line, guys, I need some help right now. You all got to give me a break or please carry this load. Isn't that the thing? Like help carry the load? We can do that. Absolutely. And we can do that for them as well. One of the things that we want you to really look at utilizing team steps towards well-being is that you can also recognize when your colleague or team member is having trouble because you know them, perhaps sometimes as well or better than their family does, and when they need help. So this is why protection against physician burnout is part of this concept of team-based care, guys. Listen to this. The relationship between high-quality, team-based healthcare and clinician burnout is less well-defined in the literature. However, as Dr. Carpenter said, it's growing and we know when team dynamics are solid, burnout recedes. So that's good. Most of the available evidence is from cross-sectional, single institutional, or brief observational studies that make causality difficult to ascertain. Nevertheless, the existing evidence does demonstrate a general positive association. Gotta say that again. There you go. Positive association between interprofessional teamwork and clinician well being. A methodology sound longitudinal study of interprofessional teams in an ICU setting found a connection between measures of high quality teamwork and measures of clinician well being and resilience. It's a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Here it is. <laughs> 
team-based care, good interprofessional collaboration increases resilience. Is that fair? Absolutely. Without question. And the thing about it is it reinforces those baseline aspects of resilience that got you into medical school that gave you the opportunity to actually rise within this. So when you're sitting as an M1 and you are doing, oh, okay, read back and the double challenge rule and the other team steps things, you're like, why the heck am I doing this? The whole answer is resilience. But teamwork isn't just about provider wellness. And, and, and of course, it's patient safety, right? Absolutely. But outside of those two factors, guys, it also impacts leadership. Tell us about that, Dr. Carpenter. Well, absolutely, Dr. Shoppy. The fact of the matter is, as a physician, being a part of a healthcare team usually means that you are seen as the team leader. Maybe if not the team leader, you're seen as a leader who, in the event that the top individual within the team isn't available, is that fallback person or that lieutenant. Being successful in medical school doesn't automatically mean anyone will be successful as a leader. And in fact, we oftentimes have failed in the past to give those resources and education to our medical student trainees or even our interns or residents. Heck, I know attendings that are terrible leaders. Yeah. In fact, I know leaders sometimes that are terrible leaders. <laughs> so according to a recent publication by a former faculty member, Dr. B.A. White, mm-hmm. of this course, emotional intelligence accounts for 85 to 90% of the difference between a good leader and a great leader. Ooh, you got to stop right there. Hold on. Did y'all get that? 85 to 90% is your EQ, not your IQ. What does that mean? What are we talking? What's an EQ? Well, part of the EQ is actually knowing yourself. You know, we oftentimes talk about physician heal thyself. Well, the reality of it is you can't heal a disease if you don't know what the problem is. Emotional intelligence is having a good sense of your own pulse, not just physiologically, but emotionally. Where are you and the individuals around you interacting? Is it a time where you need to actually take a break or a time out in order to be able to be more functional? Is it a time where you actually know that you're just fatigued and need to actually recharge your batteries, so to speak? Here's a good way. I got a question for you. Sure. No, nobody in special mind. Okay. Just the general concepts. Do you know people with great IQs that are just jerks? Absolutely. I'm a surgeon. Are you kidding me? That's a very large percentage of the people that practice my specialty. And then that's a good one. But then again, so again, who would you like to go out and have a beer with? A person with a great IQ or the great EQ? Can we be honest? Well, no, absolutely. And the reality of it is it's not just who you want to go out and hang out with or have a beer with. It's who's going to be referred to. Who are you going to actually send your patients to? Because when you as a gynecologist send a patient to, let's say, a general surgeon or a cardiologist or a nephrologist, and they're rude, have poor bedside manner, have very little emotional intelligence or EQ, the reality of it is they're going to come back to you and tell you that, oh, well, you know, that surgeon treated their disease, but didn't help them. So you see, guys, remember, we'll put this all in perspective. We're talking about how team-based care involves you being a good leader. And part of that is being an EQ. So Dr. Carpenter, tell us what what Dr. B.A. White, again, what, what the rest of her quote was. Yeah, the fact of the matter is, in her studies, the domains of emotional intelligence, including self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, yeah. and relationship management are incredibly important. Mm. 
Individuals with emotional intelligence are able to manage their own and others' emotions around them. That doesn't mean that you can change what they think or what they say, but you can be aware of what's happening between your own ears, pause, and help them get back to a state of regulation so that the team can actually uh, work together. Yeah. You know, it also allows you to build stronger relationships yeah. that positively influence performance of the team and therefore increase not only the way the team is viewed, viewed by patients, but more particularly the quality of care that patients can receive. This is a large part, right, a big part of a huge domain called resonant leadership. And that's incredibly important for you guys to, to understand that people are going to act back in a way of what they actually receive. Same way that you have an echo, the same way that you have readback, yeah, for instance, right. when you're going and working within team steps. Right. Leading with resonance creates harmony and a full understanding of all team members of what the issue is and helps to steer everyone in a direction so that we are all moving as a team towards the improvement of that patient's care. This style of leading reduces stress among team members and leaders. It decreases the probability of progressing away from uh, appreciation of one's job towards burnout. It also encourages collaboration and productivity. It increases the probability of having innovative means of treatment. Yeah. And in the end, these are all important ways for the medical care team to actually improve the quality of care they provide. Therefore, you know, leading with resonance, social and emotional intelligence mm -hmm. builds positive relationships that aid in the navigation of difficult conversations and situations. Mm -hmm. And when we look at it, that's where the rubber meets the road. When everything is hitting at all eight cylinders and there's no problems, that's one issue. But what when some what happens when something goes wrong how do you as a team recognize that there's a problem steer into it not out of chaos but out of unity and then provide great care you know one of the things that i think is important it's real we're real good at teaching iq right absolutely Concepts. but one of the things i think practice of medicine as a thread uh, tries to do is that right the humanities in medicine the difficult patient there's an oski for the difficult patient or something like that the upset patient is how to bring that EQ in, in relatability. We can teach concept. It's hard to teach how to be a person. And I think that's incredibly important because oftentimes, even within POM, we're talking about your relationship with your patient, how you interact with the patient. Oh, but we oftentimes fail. I'll use that word, fail, to turn the mirror towards ourselves oh, yeah. and actually look at how am I feeling in this situation? Am I doing the things necessary to take care of myself so that I can actually follow through on those points that are so important in the rest of Palm? Look, I don't know what you all think. That's good right there. That's good. <laughs> now, as we wrap up, we're going to bring uh, the gap a, a little smaller. We're going to close this gap because team-based care also translates into some keywords you're going to hear as an intern, right? During your intern during your intern orientation and residency, they're going to tell you you're going to be measured and you're going to be tracked on your system-based practice. System-based practice means how you use the other departments in the hospital, the other uh, professions like nursing, pharmacy. We're all measured by that. So systems-based practice, guys, is going to mean something to you. Team-based medicine is closely related to this concept of system-based practice. This is a topic currently focused on, again, in residency education. System-based healthcare requires residents and fellows to demonstrate an awareness of and responsiveness to the larger context and the system of healthcare that they're practicing in. In other words, 
as Dr. Carpenter said, we're not an island. There's other people who live with us and we need to play fair. So Dr. Carpenter, as we wrap up, what should residents or fellows be aware of? What are they expected to do during their training? Well, just a series of things that you need to start working with now as a senior medical student, starting to really think about the way that you're going to practice, not just within residency, but even beyond into your actual uh, clinical scenarios and patient care long term. You need to work effectively in various healthcare delivery settings and systems relevant to their clinical, to your clinical specialty. That's incredibly important. So that doesn't mean that you just need to know that a pathologist needs to do these steps, but rather that they need to turn around and give good feedback to, let's say, the surgeon or the care team from the operating room about how they go from there. Exactly. If they are given a specimen in the wrong form, well, it needs to be something where in a non-confrontational way, you give that feedback and can actually get a better sample next time and going forward because let's think about it. That's how patients are going to get good diagnoses and care. They need to be able to coordinate patient care within the healthcare system, again, relevant to your clinical specialty. So if I, as a general surgeon, have a patient that comes in and has pelvic pain, there's a mass in the left adnexa. Oh, and by the way, they've got a mass in their umbilicus. The reason they were sent to me is because they had a, quote, umbilical hernia, end quote. I need to know that I don't go whack that out. I turn around and I go to my colleague, Dr. Chapa, and bring in those resources and oncologists and other people in order to go from there. I need to incorporate, they need to incorporate considerations of cost awareness and risk benefit analysis in patient care. So not creating or practicing reactive or preventative medicine with regards to my own set uh, and expectations, but rather how do I responsibly spend the money of that individual, that patient in the healthcare. They need to also advocate for quality patient care and optimal patient care systems. Now that last word, systems. There may be no other great degree, greater degree of conflict that you are all going to come into with regards to your practice than trying to change the systems, which are all too often broken or aimed at something other than the quality of the care that's delivered. One person can do something. Absolutely. And you are that advocate as the leader of the ship, as the captain of the ship, you have a great degree of responsibility Mm -hmm. and capacity for advocating that change. You also need to work in interprofessional teams to enhance patient safety and improve patient care and quality. I will tell you that as a surgeon, I think there may be no other area of healthcare outside of the operating room where that communication, that capacity to actually bring in the importance of everyone being able to step up for that patient and advocate for them, irrespective of their role, is more important. Finally, they need to participate in identifying systems errors and implementing potential system solutions. But ladies and gentlemen, future doctors, listen to me when I tell you this. The idea is not just to recognize those problems after the fact or to again be reactionary. It's to, as a team, look forward for those near misses. Look forward for ways that you can have continuous quality improvement so that you can avoid ever getting into that situation in the first place. Listen, as we come to a close and we're basically done with this, but I want to share with this because we seal it up the value of teamwork. Dr. Carpenter, there's a book, I think it's by Gladwell mm-hmm. on leadership, uh, that is a horrific story, guys. Listen to this as we close. Uh, the story is told it was a, a Japanese airline or Chinese airline uh, where the captain, ran, I mean, rang the cockpit, of mm-hmm. course, 
Well, there was such a culture that you don't question the captain that the first assist or the co-pilot, mm-hmm. I guess, knew something was wrong and failed to notify. And that's captured actually in some of the audio. Uh, didn't correct. And of course, that the plane crashed. And when that was actually analyzed, it was the huge issue that the culture was so tight that prevented somebody from speaking up that people died. Have you heard of this? Uh, not only did I hear of this, I can tell you that I experienced that. That was the culture in surgery, largely in medicine, but specifically in the operating room that I came up through as a pre-medical student, as a medical student, even as a young resident. It wasn't really until about 2003 when we started looking at things like crew resource management, which eventually fed into things like team steps, that the value of input, the yeah. value of observation, of all members of the team with regards to not just the patient safety, but also the team safety is important. Think about this, guys. It's not just that your patient could be hurt. It's not just that your patient could die. It's that your career, your reputation, your capacity to be able to go on, quite frankly, your ability to have the willingness to take that risk of caring for patients can be negatively impacted. So it really is the best thing conceivable for everyone to communicate Mm. and to communicate effectively. All right, guys, we've been talking about ways to maintain resilience, mental wellness, system-based practices. It all has to do with teamwork. So we're signing off for team-based care and the purpose of teams and teamwork. I'm Dr. Hector Chapa. And I'm Rob Carpenter. We'll see you next time on Practice of Medicine 5. See ya.